The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number one, 888-990-9646. Anytime you need to get a hold of Savan or James or the rest of the team, that's the number to go to, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots of stuff to get through today, a bunch of emails. I know I got questions. You'll probably have questions as well, so we'll get right into it. Uh, guys, we always start with the uh, the week that was. Who's uh, who's stepping up to the plate first? Let me start today, John. So we had a question that was posted to one of our websites, mydisabilityquestions.com, which, John, as you know and the listeners know, is a free website. If you have any questions about long-term disability, even if you haven't been cut off or denied, but you just want to understand your rights, uh, you can just post the question there, and then within a few minutes, I will answer it. And the questions and answers are available to the public at large. So, you know, it, chances are, if you go to that website and just do a search, you will see your question, the one you have on that website with an answer. So let me just jump right into it. John from Oshawa posted uh, this question. If I have a disability insurance lawyer take my case and win the case, how long does it take to actually receive what I am owed? What is the process? So, you know, the question itself can be interpreted in two ways. First of all, if we help someone with their case, if we get involved, uh, if someone's been cut off long-term disability or denied long-term disability, what is the process? Well, the process is that we start a legal claim against the insurance company. And typically within a matter of a few months, sometimes uh, it, it can be two, three months, sometimes it's six months or a year. On rare occasions, it can be longer than that. But generally within a few months, we are able to resolve most uh, long-term disability claims. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, that is the, the process and, and that's how long it usually takes us to resolve these claims. Now, what happens when we actually resolve the claim? When our client, uh, with our help, has been able to get to a fair number uh, for compensation for their claim with the insurance company? Well, generally speaking, it takes usually a few weeks for the insurance company to send a check uh, with the full amount. That has to go into our trust account. We have to make sure that... Um, we do everything by the book, both with the bank and the law society. And, and you know, then it takes you know five to seven days to get the funds through the trust account. So if we have arrived at a settlement, let's say we went to a mediation this past week and resolved the claim with the insurance company, our client is likely going to receive the, a check from us for what they're owed uh, within about three, four max five weeks, again, unless there are you know, uh, circumstances beyond our control. Mm-hmm. So generally within a few weeks, you should get the full amount that you are owed that's been negotiated. Yeah, it's the one thing about disability claims and dealing with insurance companies all the time for all of the things that we can get upset with them for. When they owe money and you know they've agreed to pay it, they generally pay and it's not a big issue once it's resolved. The number is one 9646 What else you got going on, guys? I have one for you. So there is a case that was decided fairly recently. It was a gentleman who applied for long-term disability um, and was denied. And the insurer sent him the standard denial letter. Um, But when I say standard denial letter, there are certainly some elements that are always going to be in there. And then some that are in there sometimes and other times not. And one of the things that isn't always in there is the limitation period that applies. A lot of times it will be in there, um, but sometimes the insurer will not put in their denial letter that there's a two-year limitation in order to bring a legal action as Mm -hmm. a result of the denial. And so what happened in this particular case is this gentleman failed to bring a legal claim within the two years and then did so, um, and the insurance company brought a motion to try and defeat the claim and were successful. And... The gentleman appealed it, and the appeal was denied. In other words, the Court of Appeal held that the failure by the insurance company to 
notify the this gentleman of the limitation period um, did not mean that the guy was still allowed to bring his claim. And that's an important thing for everyone to understand. It means that you can't rely on your insurance company to tell you what the rules are about when you have to bring a legal claim. I'm going to tell you right now, you got to do it within two years and don't wait. There's absolutely yeah. no reason to wait for two years or one year or even two months. Call us and if you have a valid claim, we will start. We'll start your claim right away because the sooner we start your claim, the sooner you're going to get your compensation. And if you've been denied your disability claim, odds are you have little or no income coming in. So it is imperative that we do this as soon as possible. And the insurance company doesn't have to tell you that you only have a certain amount of time to do it. And they probably won't. So listen to me now. (laughs) Give us a call and we can start your claim as soon as possible. And John, one of the things that I want to mention about what James just said, you know, is that oftentimes we will get people calling us and they were denied a month ago, three months ago, six months ago. You know, those are the types of situations that I'm scratching my head when, you know, I'm listening to someone who's been cut off six months ago and they haven't done anything in the interim. Uh, You know, some people, of course, try to appeal these decisions only to get rejected again and, of course, waste valuable time and now they don't have any money coming in. So James is 100% on this. And and again, when people out there are are thinking, should we call, should we not, understand this, it's going to cost you nothing to get this information. If you don't want to get it, if you just want to go on Google and try and get this information on your own, be careful because, as we know, not everything on Google is accurate. Far from that. Uh, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com uh, and post your question if you just want to you know, get, get a specific answer. But just don't wait. Don't wait on these denials and these cutoffs. You could miss the, the limitation period. And, and what, what's worse, you could put yourself in a position where you just can't afford to actually be off yeah. work for a longer time. So you're going to, you know, despite what your doctors are saying, go back to work because you're hemorrhaging for money. And, th- and then your health is just going to suffer for it. And you're going to have to get off disability at some, sorry, get, get off work at some point down the road. And, you know, you're going to be in really bad shape. So don't wait. Got about a minute to go here before we take a, a short break. Give me some details before we go on the, uh, the injury calculator, pal. Well, John, it's, it's an amazing tool. Uh, it's, it's, it's an online uh, database that we've created a few years back and allows people who've been injured through no fault of their own uh, because of someone's negligence, be it from a car accident, motorcycle accident, slip and fall on ice. You've been injured. You want to know if you're entitled to compensation and for how much. Well, sometimes you don't want to call a lawyer or email a lawyer. Well, you can go to that online tool. It's uh, uh, free of charge to use. Mm-hmm. And all it does is it'll... It, gets you to to input a few key pieces of information about your injury, where it happened, the date, etc. And it scans through databases of other cases similar to yours across Canada. And it tells you in other cases similar to yours, people who've suffered similar injuries, here's what the courts have awarded for pain and suffering. So it gives you a starting point. And if then at that point, when you get that, that answer, that range of damages, you want to know a little bit more about your particular case, right? Let's say you can't work for some, you know, because of the injury. Let's say you have uh, significant expenses, uh, medical rehabilitation expenses, or other types of things that you want to get compensation for because of your accident. And you want to talk to us about that. Then, you know, when you get that result on the screen, you can just press the consultation button. We get that. And when we can make, um, we can make contact with you and have a full consultation, again, free of charge, uh, to, to tell you what your rights are, what your family uh, is, is entitled to potentially, and, and go from there. And at that point, you can make a decision if you want to proceed or not. But at least you have that information uh, in your hands, and, and you can decide uh, if, if you want to proceed forward with the claim or not. 
Injurycalculator.ca is where you want to go. Emails, which we're, we're going to go right after a short break, is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And always the phone number as well. You want to get a hold of James or Savannah or anybody in the uh, the crew. one 990 It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number you want to call. It is injurycalculator.ca to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. And email, which we'll get to here in just a moment, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. But you got something else you want to talk about, Savan? Yeah, John, I have another case, another lady that had contacted us this week. Uh, and, and this is an interesting one. So I, I, I you know, w- want to go through the facts and then dissect it. This lady has been on long-term disability since February of 2016. Uh, For breast cancer, she had a mastectomy. She's on CPP disability in addition to LTD. So, you know, the government has uh, recognized that her disability is severe and prolonged. Now, she's contacted us because she hasn't been cut off yet. But she wants to speak to us what, about what would happen if she gets cut off. Apparently, the insurance company uh, has arranged for her to go see a psychologist. So clearly, we're not just dealing with cancer here. We're dealing with a, a, a mental issue as well, a psychological issue. And, but they've told her, the adjuster told her that the plan is for her to go back to work after she sees their psychologist. Now, the interesting thing about this, and by the way, she's 61 years old. She works as an admin assistant. Uh, and, and, you know, her doctors are saying that she's unable to go back to work. But the interesting thing here is that, you know, we've heard a lot and we're going to continue talking about what happens when an insurance company asks you to go and see one of their doctors. The idea there is that their doctor is going to be evaluating you and providing conclusions to the insurance company as to whether or not the doctor thinks that you should be able to go back to work or whether or not there should be other treatments. Here in this case... She's been arranged to go see their psychologist, and the adjuster is essentially presupposing the conclusion. The, the adjuster is essentially saying uh, that uh, we believe that after you see the psychologist for which we are seeking an opinion as to whether or not you should go back to work, right. you are going to try and go back to work. So that's, you know, that's not the way the process works. The insurance company is not supposed to send you to a doctor and then tell you that, well, we think this doctor or this individual is going to tell us X, and based on that, we're gonna, well, what's the point of sending her yeah. to see this individual? In fairness to the adjuster, they're probably right. <laughs> well, they're probably well. right because we know in most instances, a lot of times when you go see the insurance doctors, the insurance doctors crank out a report in favor of the insurance company. Right. That's what you mean by that. Oh, of course, that's what okay. I mean. No, no, but it's important people to understand that you know, in a situation like this, if this in fact has happened and we can prove it, as far as I'm concerned, that's actually evidence of bad faith. The insurance company is saying that we are basically going to send you to a doctor, or in this case, a psychologist, to rubber stamp our plan, which we have determined now nice. before we've gotten the conclusions from this expert nice. that you should go back to work. That is insane. What is the point of sending her to the psychologist? It's like so, a crystal ball anyway. But, but you know, and I'm sure that this is not the first time that this has happened. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, you know, I've, I've seen sort of uh, uh, some situations that, that are somewhat similar to this, but this is so blatant. I mean, yeah. it's just, again, I can only imagine this lady thinking to herself, well, what's the point of me going to see this individual for that person to assess me if the adjuster already made up their mind as to whether or not I, I'm going to be going back to work. So she's doing the right thing. She's heard us. Uh, she's We're speaking with her. We're going to tell her what to do. And, and frankly, what she should be doing is documenting everything, is emailing the adjuster every time there's a conversation, emailing to confirm here's what was said to the adjuster. Because later on, 
we can go back to these emails, these communications, and you know we can build a case, a much stronger case against the insurance company. The other thing that she needs to do is she needs to make sure that she asks for a copy of whatever the psychologist, sorry, a copy of the report, whatever report the psychologist is gonna crank out for the insurance company, go through it, make sure that she notes any inaccuracies or any any information or or conclusions uh, that are not in line with the truth, show it to her doctor as well, Presumably, she's being she's she's been arranged to see a psychologist because she herself is seeing a, a mental health consultant, like a psychiatrist, psychologist. So, whatever report she gets from the insurance company should give that to her own psychologist or psychiatrist to go through. So, you know, we, there are various strategies and tactics that we can teach individuals in that situation to to battle the insurance company to make sure that the insurance company doesn't abuse that relationship. Insurance companies, remember, are there to give you peace of mind. They're supposed to be there to do that. Unfortunately, they rarely do do that. They're in the business of making money, and one of the ways they do that is by getting you off claim. The point of the matter is they have a duty to act in good faith. Um, They have a duty to not preach, suppose, what your um, condition is going to be before they actually have a medical opinion that informs them, and clearly they've done that here. That is a failure to fulfill their duty to act in good faith, and I don't think it's anything a court would have difficulty finding. And by the way, John, just before we got on the show, I was showing James uh, an an email that that we received, a gentleman in Ottawa uh, who has a a back and and neck uh, issue, and um, the insurance company just sent him a letter telling him that as of March 2019, okay, next year, yeah. they believe he will be able to be well enough to go back to some kind of work. Wow. And, and uh, hold on, this gentleman apparently is being scheduled for surgery for his back in the they near future. They still assume that he's going to be. Are, yeah. Exactly. His doctor has said, I don't know when his progno- what, 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 you know, his condition is going to be. I, don't, I can't give you a prognosis. He hasn't had surgery yet. How he can hasn't had know? surgery. No, he's just being referred now to a specialist to actually schedule that. And the insurance company is saying that in March of next year, we think he's going to be well enough to go back. I mean, that is simply insane. And this is mm-hmm. what we call anticipatory breach. They are breaching the policy by making that kind of a conclusion right now. And we can act now. That's the point. You don't have to wait until March of next year. We can take action right now to either thwart that attempt to cut them off or to reach some kind of a resolution with them, assuming that's what our client wants. But the right. point is that he's going to get this legal protection, legal cover, if, if we're able to, you know, if, he, if, if he wants to engage us, to deal with the insurance company. If he doesn't do that, then I can guarantee you, John, he's going to get cut off just as the insurance company said, because when they tell you they're going to cut, uh, that they're going to cut you off, they're not bluffing. It's in the system. They're going to cut you off. one 9646 is the number. Email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We are going exactly there to one of your emails. When we take a short break and come back here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. A number to get a hold of James or Savannah or the rest of the crew, and the email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be, be yours a friend or a family member, no problem. Injurycalculator.ca as well. Norm uh, writes in. We'll get to your uh, your email here. Norm says my wife, who is thirty two, suffers from a neurological disease, and she was recently also diagnosed with severe depression. 
It's very hard on my five-year-old boy on us, and in general as a family. We received a letter from her long-term disability insurance company this week stating that because they think she can do other work, she will be cut off benefits on June 28th. She can't do any work in her condition, and her doctors have uh, have all said that to the insurance company. We only have 30 days, count them 30 days to appeal, but we don't know where to start. Um, so, Norm, I really appreciate the email. I'm sorry to hear that uh, you and your family are going through such a difficult time. From the way you've drafted this email, it sounds as though the letter that they've sent cutting off benefits on June 28th um, is more than likely the two-year anniversary um, of her uh, of her benefits uh, starting. Um, and typically what happens is after two years of receiving benefits, there's what's called a change in definition. And that means that the ability to get your benefits now requires that you can prove that you can't return to any occupation as opposed to the occupation you had when you when your disability began. And I say that because you're saying that her insurance company is saying that she can do other work. And that's an important distinction. Um, if it's before two years and assuming that this is a reasonably standard policy, then the test is really whether she can return to the occupation that she had at the time. In any case, the fact that they have told you in advance that they're going to be cutting her off uh, on June 28th, which is a little, which is uh, several weeks from now anyway, uh, means that we can start a legal claim now. We don't have to wait until uh, she's actually being cut off and you know the benefits have stopped coming in. We can start the process now. Uh, we can get the claim issued very quickly. And as we've talked about, we'll come to a resolution much more quickly the sooner we start it. So it makes all the sense in the world to get moving on this. The last piece that you've included in there is this issue about um, 30 days to have an appeal. Yeah. Uh, you can ignore that. Uh, if we start the legal claim, um, then you know obviously an appeal is irrelevant. But as you know, anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis will know, the appeal is irrelevant anyway. The appeal is just an internal process that the insurance companies are setting up to try and keep you out of the legal stream. They want to keep the decision in their own hands. And they do that by suggesting you go through this appeal process, which gives them complete control to continue denying your claim. It's only when you start a legal claim that you take the control out of the insurance company's hands and you force them to be reasonable. You force them to act in good faith as they're required to by law. Uh, just a few uh, points on this, uh, John, that I want to add. Number one, you know, we do have people who contact us uh, and, and th- they're panicking. Um, they're saying, look, I have 30 days to appeal or however long they've been given. G- generally, it's, uh, it's 30 days. And they think that their rights are extinguished after that uh, 30-day period. And, you know, we've, we've talked over and over here about how you have a two-year limitation period. And I think for a lot of people out there, they're not necessarily understanding why, you know, on the one hand, you have this 30-day period here, and on the other hand, we're talking about two years. This 30-day period that the insurance company gives you is completely irrelevant when it comes to your legal rights. Also, it's arbitrary. It's ar- it's a hundred percent. If you fail be, to if you yeah. fail to do it within the thirty days, and you decided you wanted to appeal for some reason, you want to appeal after that. I, I would almost guarantee you that they're going to say, "Sure, fine, we'll take your appeal as long as you're not starting a legal claim that suits us well." Absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely, they will. But but you know, th- the reason that I, wa- I want to bring this to everyone's attention is because some people, I am sure, some people out there who have been in that situation or know people who have been in that situation where they've, they've uh, been given that piece of paper that says you have 30 days and 30 days have elapsed 
and then they actually have not done anything. They actually believe they have no legal recourse. That is 100% wrong. So if you're in that situation, you know someone in that situation who thinks that you know they're out of luck because they missed that 30-day deadline, no, you are not out of luck. You are out of luck if you've missed the two-year limitation, meaning from the date you were denied, first denied, if you waited longer than two years, at that point, you are very well out of luck. That 30 days, you can ignore that exactly as James said. Give us a call, email us, let us look at the information that you've submitted, let us look at the denial letter, and we will tell you within a few minutes if you have a case or not. It's a similar thing with the employment side you guys do. I mean, that Friday exactly. at 5 to return back your severance offer. I mean, it's 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 a stupid it's a stupid number. Again, you have two years, so just uh, just ignore. What, what types of disabilities generally allow you to claim for long-term disability? Well, ge- generally speaking, it's it's really anything that disables you from working. Now, this is very important. Some policies have certain exclusions. And so one of the things that we do when someone contacts us is we want to see the policy itself because sometimes, you know, you're going to have exclusions for, uh, you know, certain things. Uh, for example, um, you know, if, if you become addicted to a drug or, or alcoholism or right. whatever, there could be certain exclusions in your policy. But generally speaking, so long as you are substantially unable or disabled from doing okay. your work uh, or, or any work, depending on that uh, two-year uh, uh test that we've discussed before, uh, then at that point, you you will qualify, you should qualify for LTD. And remember as well, it's very important that you have medical backup. It's important Mm -hmm. that you have a a doctor or someone who's treating you who who can say, uh, you know, in writing, on paper, that you are disabled from working. And I'm not talking about just providing a report that has one line that says this person cannot work. It has to be more robust than that. It has to have some meat to it. It has to have Mm -hmm. some information from that doctor uh, who's been treating this person to say, here's the reason why this person is unable to work. Uh, Here's what I foresee for the foreseeable future. And sometimes doctors can't say what's gonna happen in the next six months or a year, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. So long as those doctors are saying that at this point in time, you are unable to go back to work, you should qualify unless there is an exclusion in the policy that is pointed out to you if there is a denial uh, that says, here's why you don't qualify. And by the way, John, we've also seen many cases where the insurance company relies on certain exclusions, and those exclusions don't actually say what the insurance company says that they say. So again, don't always assume that because you're being excluded from something that we shouldn't have a look at it and advise you as to whether or not the insurance company is correct in denying your claim. A couple things I wanted to add to that. Um, one, just as a word of caution, there are policies out there that have very broad exclusions that might exclude for any mental health claims. Um, they're rare, but they are out there. So we want to make sure that we're distinguishing between those because obviously um, a policy that excludes any mental health claims um, is going to be far more limited in what it's going to cover um, just by definition. The other thing is, and I think this is an important thing to really understand, when we're talking about what kind of disabilities will qualify you for a long-term disability claim, we're not talking about diagnoses, not at all. Um, you know, a diagnosis uh, doesn't necessarily give you that much information. Virtually any illness, whether you know, it's a physical disability or a mental health claim, um, are, is going to lie somewhere on a continuum. And you know, there's very different outcomes um, from the same diagnosis. What is important is the symptoms and how those symptoms affect someone's functional abilities. And what I mean by that is their ability to do various, you know, common tasks that would impact their ability to work. 
their ability to sit for an extended period of time, their ability to stand, or if they have a physical job, their ability to lift things of a certain weight. Um, For, you know, people who have sedentary jobs, their ability to sit and concentrate for an extended period of time, um, to, you know, be able to exist even with a headache present. Whatever the situation is, the the focus of the analysis is on what that person's symptoms are and how those impact their ability to function right. in an in an employment situation. The number is one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Email is help at the insurance We'll bounce over to another email after a short break on the insurance and injury law show. This is Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number. Email. Send them over. It is help at the insurance lawyer. Ca to get a hold of Savannah or uh, James anytime. By the way, injurycalculator.ca to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be. Any other phone calls or con? There is a contact button at the bottom of that, or it's completely anonymous if you just want to find out uh, what's going on. In that regard, Mary writes in says husband was in a car accident last spring when another car rear-ended him. Our car was written off, and my husband still goes to a lot of therapy. He suffered a concussion and was diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome. He used to work full-time as a manager at a furniture store, but since the accident, he's only been able to work part-time with accommodations. The problem is that his company now says that if he doesn't come back uh, full-time in a couple months, they have to let him go. What do we do? Uh, John, let me, let me let me start with this one. So, Mary, first of all, um, you know I, I can identify several issues here uh, w- with regard to um, to your husband's situation. Number one, you end the email by talking about the employment uh, aspect of the case, which, which is very important, by the way, because uh, not just for you, but generally speaking, a lot of the people that we help, both on the long-term disability front as well as on the injury front, have employment situations and questions and concerns that arise from their disabilities. Because clearly, if you've worked somewhere for a while and now you're disabled and need to go back with limitations, uh, with, with accommodations, your employer is not necessarily going to be the most accommodating. And, and again, that's one of the unique aspects of our firm that we have both employment lawyers as well as injury and disability lawyers working side by side to really make sure that our clients are fully protected and that if there is a wrong that's done to them, that we can maximize the compensation uh, that uh, they are owed under the law. Now, Mary, as you know, um, having, having uh, you know, now gone through the system with, with your husband, your husband would have been entitled to accident benefits from his own insurance company, his auto insurance company. And, and those would have included medical rehabilitation benefits. If he didn't work for a certain period of time, it probably would have included income replacement benefits. And now that he's going back part-time, you know, there, there is the concern, obviously, not only with the employment situation now, but what's going to happen in the future. And you've mentioned that this was a re-rent collision, so the other driver is at fault for the accident. One of the first things that I think you need to know, you and your husband, is that your husband, as well as yourself, most likely, have a claim against the other driver, the person who uh, uh, hit uh, your, your husband and caused them those injuries, which now appear to be long-lasting. You're dealing with a concussion, and you know, one thing that I think people, again, need to understand is that a concussion is a brain injury. And, and you know, again, there's a continuum as to how serious that syndrome is and, and the symptoms and, and the long-lasting effects that they can have, which is why we have doctors who not only assess on an ongoing basis, but treat. But it's very important to understand that this kind of an injury could, in fact, be if not permanent, again, very long-lasting. So we have to make sure that we start a claim for compensation 
for the potential future losses that Mary and her husband are going to get as soon as possible. So here we're dealing with two insurance companies, his insurance company for accident benefits as well as the other driver's insurance company. So Mary, my advice to you is that we get in touch off air. We will provide you with all the information you need and make sure that your husband is protected when it comes to his employment situation. And sometimes, by the way, when employers threaten to fire someone, particularly when that person is disabled, it's it's a simple letter from us uh, that goes to that employer that tells that employer that if they do that, not only are they going to be on the hook for significant severance to that employee, mm-hmm. but there is a potential human rights violation because they're letting someone go while that person is disabled. So you see, Mary, th- there are a whole bunch of issues here, and I want to be able to address all of them. We don't have enough time right now. Suffice it to say that you've done the right thing by contacting us, and again, we're going to be in touch off air, and we're going to give you all of the information that you and your husband need to make sure that you understand how to proceed forward, both with the employer as well as with the accident uh, claim. You want contact as well, simple, one 990 And as we mentioned before, and we'll refer to again in just a bit, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. i got a couple minutes to go here, guys, before we break, so I'll ask you this. You often talk... Uh, talk to and see people who have suffered injuries and accidents, obviously. Some of them apply for disability and also start legal claims against whoever caused the injuries. Should they do both or just one or the other, or how's the timing? Absolutely do both. Um, yeah. Any time that you've been injured, particularly where it's affecting your ability to earn an income, um, you want to take advantage of every avenue possible in order to recover that because you need to, you need to live. Um, you know, most people have a mortgage or rent to pay. Um, if you got families, you need, you need to put food on the table. So there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't pursue all possible avenues. Um, and from a legal perspective, you really, in many cases, are gonna need to. Um, you know, for example, a lot of long-term disability policies are gonna require um, that you take advantage of any uh, government assistance, including CPP disability, that might be available to you, and they penalize you if you don't at least apply. Um, you know, motor vehicle claims require that you also take advantage of any uh, other avenues that you might have, including accident benefits and any collateral benefits, such as long-term disability, that might be available to you. And as long as you go through the process and you start the application for your long-term disability benefits or your accident benefits or CPP benefits, whatever the outcome is, can't be used against you. In other words, if you've at least applied, if you've been denied, then at the very least you can say that you've done that. And there's no credit, for example, to the at-fault party in a car accident. Um, They can't rely on the fact that you haven't applied for long-term disability and deduct that from what they owe you. But if you've applied and you've been denied, then there's nothing that they can say about it. John, one point that I want to add is is that, and again, we get this uh, at the firm, and I, I certainly saw this also when I was doing defense work for insurance companies, is that people who would have long-term disability claims, car accident claims, a whole bunch of claims, they would go to different lawyers. And and what happens in that situation, imagine you come to us to deal with your long-term disability claim and then you have another lawyer dealing with a car accident claim, there are too many cooks in the kitchen. And and you're gonna have a problem at some point potentially because these lawyers are gonna have different strategies of how to deal with your cases and your cases are intertwined. And and I can tell you right now, I've had situations where people have come to me either for the, the accident portion of the case or the LTD and we've had difficulties because the other lawyer we were dealing with that was also supposed to be helping my client was just dragging their feet. They weren't doing what they were supposed to. And so that brought our claim, the one I was handling, to a standstill because we had to actually 
you know, move both of them in the same direction with the insurance company. So you want to make sure that, you know, you go to a firm, and this is why I keep talking about ours, because it's so unique in the way that we have lawyers that deal with the employment side, with the disability side, with the injury side. Mm-hmm. You, you want to make sure that you maximize the compensation that you are entitled to under the law. And having too many people who are dealing with all these claims, it, it's, it's going to work against that uh, objective. The other really important thing is it, it, the reason why you want to start them all um, as soon as possible is because you want to get them all to resolution at the same time. And you want that to happen as soon as possible. And when I say you want them all to get to resolution at the same time, what I mean is in almost all cases, there are some exceptions, but you don't have to worry about it. In almost all cases, it's going to do you much better to have all possible interested parties that you have a claim against at the table at the same time. On occasion, it might make more sense to stagger it and to settle one before the other. And on those certain occasions, we can certainly advise you and we can um, proceed that way and strategize that way. But generally speaking, yes, you want to start them all at the same time. You want to get everyone at the table at the same time. The more pockets that are there, the more likely you're going to get the compensation, the full compensation that you're entitled to. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to find out what the pain and suffering of a claim should be. That is injurycalculator.ca as well. Lots more to go here. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That's the email. Alex says uh, my wife was denied long-term disability despite having been diagnosed for schizophrenia and PTSD by a psychiatrist. She's been through treatments and is still not able to function properly. The insurance company said that their doctor reviewed all the documentation we sent them and doesn't believe that she's disabled from doing any job. My wife is a nurse. She's 48. I've been told by a lawyer we know that we shouldn't bother trying to fight the insurance company and instead focus on her recovery. But I just don't think that's right. What do you guys think? I think you shouldn't be talking to the lawyer that you've been talking to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you absolutely want to challenge this for sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry that your wife has been diagnosed here with schizophrenia and PTSD. Those are obviously very significant diagnoses. And I know, you know, a few moments ago, I said that we're not focused on the diagnoses. It's really the symptoms. But PTSD is a certain type of diagnosis that requires you to have reached a certain level um, of limitation or, you know, of um, impairment. Um, that once you've been diagnosed with that, it in and of itself suggests a very significant level of impairment as a result of just that diagnosis. And likewise with schizophrenia. Um, you know, schizophrenia, and I'm certainly no expert in this, but I've dealt with it several times in my career. And, you know, it, it can be a progressive um, disease, and it's something that typically speaking, in and of itself would make it very difficult for someone to maintain employment. Um, There are high-functioning schizophrenics out there. I am aware of that. But generally speaking, it can be very difficult. And if you're doing a combination, someone who's got a combination of schizophrenia and PTSD, that in and of itself suggests very strongly that they are not going to be able to work at their job as a nurse or at any job, frankly. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible that they would be able to find employment 
but it would be a very difficult thing to argue against. And I would absolutely make the insurance company make that argument in court because that is one that they're going to have a lot of difficulty, particularly if they're only relying on a medical report from someone who's almost certainly never actually assessed your wife in person, who is just basing it on medical reports, which, as you've told us, are very supportive of the fact that she can't work. So that's something you absolutely must challenge them on. Now, it kind of dovetails into this question, though. Is it generally harder to get approval for LTD claims that deal with psychological or psychiatric issues rather than physical ones? If so, or how do you deal with it if you do deal with it? It's uh, an interesting question because I, it's been my experience that when you, if you're talking about a purely physical impairment, it is generally the case that insurance companies are more willing to approve the claim, at least initially. Um, for mental health claims, it has always been the case, particularly with disability insurance, that it is tougher to get approval out of the gate. Having said that, once you have approval, um, the mental health claims, the psychological claims, you are much more likely to continue receiving benefits um, at and beyond the two-year mark, that change of definition where um, you're only entitled to benefits if you can prove that you are um, disabled from any occupation. That's far more likely um, to be approved after two years than a physical impairment because, as we know, people with purely physical impairments can often find other work, even if it's not what they were doing before. For example, someone who has uh, been injured and becomes a paraplegic is often going to be able to find some employment somewhere um, that can pay them a reasonable amount, especially if you know they have education and experience that would allow them to resume some other occupation. Right. Whereas someone with a significant psychological or emotional issue is going to have a very hard time holding down employment um, for any extended period of time. And so beyond the two-year mark where it requires you to show that you are disabled from any occupation, I would say it's actually easier if you have a mental, mental health or psychological mm. issue that you're dealing with. We'll take a quick break and wrap up with another email here. That address is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. The phone number is one 9646 The Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Keep that number with you. Memorize it. That's to get a hold of James, Savannah, or the rest of the team at the firm. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca for an email. Crystal, I get last one of the day, says uh, my brother was told that he's going to be cut off long-term disability in about three months because his policy won't cover his disability after two years. He's 51 and worked as a mechanical engineer before he had a mental breakdown. His doctor and psychological or psychologist have tried to convince the insurance company to reverse their position, but they won't budge. Not a big shock there. How do you guys help? Okay, Crystal. So the first question that I have is that um, whether or not the insurance policy is only a two-year policy, and that's going to be rare. And the reason I say is because you said that uh, he was told that his policy won't cover his disability after two years. And going back to the point that James had made and we have made here on the show many times before, after two years of long-term disability, there is a change in the definition or the criteria uh, for getting long-term disability. The, the, the term that the insurance company is going to throw at you is totally disabled or total disability, in quotes. That term is defined within the first two years of LTD, generally, as can you do your own job or are you disabled from doing your own job? Again, emphasis on your own job. And 
most policies out there have that change in definition after two years that says that if you can't do any job for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience, then you continue to qualify for LTD. So that's what we need to figure out here, Crystal, is whether or not the policy is a two-year policy, meaning that irrespective of any definition changes, he's only covered for two years, period, or whether or not there is that change in definition and he has to meet that uh, you know, broader definition of can you do any job after two years. Now, he's 51 years old, mechanical engineer. You're saying that he has a doctor, probably a family doctor and a psychologist, both of who have tried to convince the insurance company that he continues to be disabled, but they won't budge. Well, again, they won't budge because there is no legal claim. There's no risk on them. And you know, oftentimes you would hear James and I talk about insurance companies and how to apply pressures on them. You know, one of the ways that lawyers talk about applying pressure on insurance companies is by way of creating a risk on them. And what does that mean? It means that when we start a legal claim and we we start creating a case against the insurance company, we are creating a risk that down the road, if the insurance company doesn't come to the table and is reasonable with respect to settlement, then they're going to get hammered if this goes before a judge. That's what we mean by risk, that at at the end of the day, there's going to be a third party, a judge who's going to make that determination. And the insurance company, once there is a judgment, they can't just ignore that judgment. They have to pay and presumably pay a lot more uh, than than what we've been requesting initially, right? Because there's going to be legal costs that they have to pay, etc. So that's what we mean by, by creating risk on them. So Crystal, my advice is let's get in touch off air. We can help your husband. I'd like to see the medical documentation that has been provided to the insurance company. And, and I can tell you uh, in, in most instances, when we look at all the documentation and if it's exactly as has been told to us by the individual, we can help them and we can bring the matter to a resolution fairly quickly with the insurance company. Good for another week, guys. We'll get out of here and uh, give the information one more time for everybody to get a hold of you when they need to. one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't used it yet, uh, if but only for interest's sake, you want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be, that is simple as well, injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.